0: This is, uh, welcome to another episode of Box Office Vacancy. I'm your co-host, Robert.
1: Ah, See? And this your calls, Reggie. Meh,
0: everybody. Meh. Hey, the uh, world-famous evil gangster Reggie. Except this world-famous gangster doesn't sound like a, um, squawking Danny DeVito impersonation from Batman Returns. How are you doing, Reggie? How are you feeling?
1: Uh, I'm doing all right. see? I have to watch this shitty movie. Meh. 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 speaking of uh legends like you of don't know who edward g robertson is
0: <laughs> no no of course i know <laughs> he is. i'm just saying that uh holy shit reg you still need to see on cinema at the cinema mm-hmm. um Where there's this recurring character who basically can only do like one type of voice, but he impersonates like five different um, like Hollywood legends. But his only range is just doing the same type of personation. So um, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But um, speaking of icons of cinema, new icons of cinema, uh, we had the extreme displeasure of actually, you know, spending money. In these trying times on uh, Capone, the newest film from former legendary one uh, WonderCon, John, uh, Josh Trek, uh, who wrote, directed and edited um, this new film with uh, the legendary Al Capone, this time played in, you know, typical method. Form by Tom Harding, where the premise is essentially we're seeing a gangster at the tail end of, you know, his legendary career, him in exile, him succumbing to uh, dementia and just basically his own paranoia and his crumbling sense of reality around him. And uh, it is dreadful. It is a, a utterly, utterly dreadful experience to actually go through. Um, in fact, humorously right now, or Fandango was doing it for a little bit, but they actually had ads on Instagram where they would encourage people to buy both Capone and Gotti together. Oh, oh, they, they had a double feature oh. deal. If you got Capone Uh, and Gotti. Now, um, before we get into Capone, Reggie actually finally watched Gotti just uh, only about two, three months ago before um, 2020 happened, essentially. And uh, Reg, just quick thoughts about Gotti. Quick, quick thoughts about Gotti. Because I think both of these films, even though they have nothing to do with each other in a thematic direction,
1: you see where I'm going with it. I feel that they're that both of them are uh, both of them are like both of these films are about like you know famous gangsters, but somehow the directors miss the mark entirely. Like with Gotti, my whole issue with it is is like the storyline just jumbles all over the place. And when I read, like, watched the credits, it was supposed, it's based on the book by his son. And even in, even in the, um, and even towards the end of the film where he's having a scene with his son, uh, you know, like his son is about to plead, you know, uh, plead guilty and like try to, try to get a lighter sentence and, uh, lighter sentence instead of, you know, remaining silent and then, you know, take to jail since it's like, it's like his old man did. Yeah. Um. Like it's like it was just like a little bit too late for that because most of the movie is spent on John Travolta. Like it's most of it is like a highlight reel of John Gotti, and it's like unless if you know, like unless you read his biography or like understand like who he is, is like you kind of see what like what moments the film uh, like what the film portrays, but but like I I just felt that like the directing is just straight up flat um you, honestly, you,
0: didn't, you didn't think Kevin Connerly um, no you know, he from, from Entourage Entourage was, should
1: not be directing movies. He,
0: he was like the second third option. Uh, For this film, like it's interesting you brought up that it was an adaptation of a book because originally I think the original title of it was going to be Gotti, the story of two fathers or something like that. Like it was like a really, really clunky uh, name because it was, you know, as you said, it was meant more so as an adaptation of this story, respectively. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, just apparently this was... John Travolta spent seven years making this fucking movie. You know, like, as ridiculous as it was that he spent five... He spent three years trying to make The Fanatic. He made... It took him seven years to make this thing because, like, the the budget went out, like, 60% of the film. So, you know, if, if it feels incomplete, if it feels like they had to make... A quarter of the film with, um, behind uh, with like actual archival footage, you know. So like all the cool shit that we could see thematically yeah. is
1: just like you know, yeah. But I mean, um, like, even even if they want to show like even if they like made a, a like artistic choice of showing mean, like clips, it still felt disjointed. I mean. I mean, like they really, like John Travolta really want to showcase his acting, but he should have played it more. Look, like, he should have played it more like The Godfather, where oh. where it should have been the son, like the son supposed to be like the main character, and and you know, just John Travolta being in the room, like just having him a, a few scenes with them, he will still like you will still feel his presence, he because uh, yeah. like because like again because. They actually make, they make John Gotti, they make
0: John Gotti's life seem like, like, I, my takeaway from it is that because the only scenes that we see is like either him in a courtroom, either him in the living room arguing with somebody, you know, we get like a really quick, you know, poorly choreographed, like him actually beating up somebody, but I it's like they try to include this whole element about like how John Gotti had almost like this like you know the public loved him like his neighborhood did love him and they only really brought that up and like a couple. You know, for a couple minutes. And it's like that's actually like one of the unique angles of John Gotti was that he was this guy that everybody knew was like a crook,
1: but somehow still had like this massive public following. He was very charismatic and very flamboyant. Of all the Dons, he was he He was was, called the Dapper
0: Don. His nickname was literally the Dapper Don. He was this bigger than life guy. And this movie makes him seem like a chump. It makes him seem like this guy, the one cool thing that he does, you know, killing his boss, it just ends up ruining the rest of his life. It, he spends the majority of his life in jail or in courtrooms. So like you, you, you well, get like none it, of the actual cool the appeal of God. Yeah. Instead, I can't even with the
1: appeal, but but also like it felt like it felt like uh, it felt that you don't have uh, <laughs> like Unless you know, unless you know how the FBI tried to get him, like, you, like you just have to like you take the movie's word for itself because what brought him down was wiretaps. Like that's what finally got him to yeah. like, like pretty much like in the like late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, was uh, not it's, only they got him on on tape, but he had like people finally ratted him out. It's and like it's that's and, an like, unsexy. That
0: um, I, I I was gonna say, you know what this movie feels like, and and it's the whole lead-in that I have to Capone, and it's also even a lead-in to another movie, and you just you're gonna have to hear me out about like how this movie is connected with these two movies as well. Okay. Well, but, um,
1: I mean, the, like connection the, that, well, well, I mean, like it's funny that both like another connection that these two movies share. Is there the distributed by these like, you know, by these like these weird companies like got Redbox for uh, Capone (gasps) and then MoviePass for Gotti. Ridge, I didn't even connect with that. That's That's right. right. You knew you were in deep shit with Capone when Redbox was like the first thing that popped up. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's like none of the major studios wanted to make this movie. I wonder
0: Why? But um, but going back to you know the, the the first thing I want to say before going to the connection between the two films, yeah. Gotti feels like okay, you know what Walmart or I don't know how many guys you know that are like this. You know I'm sure there are guys either in Indiana or what have you that you just know this kind of guy, right? Where when you're at Walmart and you're looking like the dollar bin one and you see like the three, five DVD pack where it's like true, true mob stories or like, you know, um, you know, the legacy of lucky
1: Luciano, like, like those cheap, like like, like, any, any type of movie that stars like Nicholas cage. I mean, like, no, 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 I'm, I'm saying, I'm
0: saying like the kind of guy that collects those specific like history channel, Bottom of the barrel documentaries about these, you know, mobsters, these famous mobsters, and this film feels like the the kind of guy that watches those documentaries that buys the yeah. five bucks that has like the poster of like Lucky Luciano but like um just like the cheapest kind of you know mass produced angle of it where it's like put it this way he's probably seen you know the uh the mob um the mob files marathon on history channel more than he's actually seen the godfather trilogy like he's the kind of guy that says that his favorite movie is the godfather but he's probably only act no he's the kind of guy that says that he loves the sopranos but probably only watched like 2 3 episodes this movie feels like it was directed by that guy like half the dialogue is just references deliberate references to other better mobster movies. Like at one point, Gotti actually says, Hey, look at us. We're like a couple of good fellas. I mean, it, it it really feels like the most you know, <laughs> kind, yeah. of well,
1: uh, kind of mob kind of fan
0: made this movie.
1: And I mean, like in, also, like, and also what you can also like uh talk like talk about like in terms of directing is it's like some of these cats, uh, um, you know, like some of these directors. So, so many of the co-stars
0: in this, and this movie has like a lot of like you know, mob drama, you know, like guys that have been doing this or for not- 40, 50 years. But yeah. what I realized with this movie, Reg, is that Well, a lot of these guys are getting old. All of the Soprano guys are like in their 60s and 70s. And we're trying to do this story about this, like, you know, John Gotti rising up to the ranks. But like all of his co-stars are like always sitting down, like they're either standing or sitting down because none of them, I think, can actually do any of like the violent (laughs) scenes anymore.
1: Well, Well, I mean, well, then also it's also like it also feels like a TV movie. It's like being like a first time director. It's like unless you like unless if you like, you know, you've done a short or something where you can like you can you know, that, you know, you let you know what you want, like, you know, how to how to frame and stuff. Most likely you're shooting for efficiency and like even the way how the film is like like how the how everything is cut together, how everything is like put together. It's like it's pretty much it's it feels like, you know, somebody uh, like, you know like he was like he had a friend that directed a lot of T V movies, so you know, yeah. directed a lot of television and he just pretty it's- much tell him, okay, this is how, all right. So this is how you set it up and you know, like you know, you you know, you you do like a like Camera here, camera here, and then you know back and forth, and that's it. Even even with even when they were uh, even some of the brawl scenes, like they're all shot close up. There's no sense of choreography. It felt that uh, that you know either they didn't have the money, you know the money, or the time to like. To really do anything, so they just or, know, or like,
0: my theory out. is my theory is just the fact that like a lot of these guys are just getting too fucking old for this. <laughs> so it's like you can you can
1: only do like so much with like Jerry. Oh, um, no, actually, I'm, I, I mean but thing. not not with the Jerry. I mean, like, like I mean, shit. I, I mean, like you can at least like have a couple of people like you know whack a couple of guys with a gun. I'm <laughs> right. just saying, I'm talking about like I talk about the bar scene with the son, son of his friends. Yeah. Yeah. And
0: also, um, what's the oh, my God, that car explosion scene. I think that might have been one of the worst car explosion scenes because like they they don't do like a zoom in. They don't don't do like a dramatic zoom out. They just have like the camera at this like awkward angle where it's just like kind of like elevated up at a corner shot looking down and it just holds that shot and then like we see like a little meanie explosion because like i guess they were only able to do like one take and then we just two seconds later then it explodes
1: and it's just like it shuts so bad it's
0: just it's And
1: and then the sequence that just doesn't make any sense. They try to make uh, John a badass by like doing this long sequence of him getting out of prison, Mm -hmm. driving over to this guy's hotel room, kill the guy, drive right back, and like signing uh, signing back in, like uh, signing back in, and all this done with the theme from Shaft playing uh, playing. Throughout the sequence, it's oh
0: like, my god, we haven't even brought like, we haven't even brought up that pit pit bull pit bull's contribution it, it's to this. Like,
1: it's, it's, it's either it's either it's either they they couldn't afford like you know a like a, a, a good soundtrack like you know like Martin Scorsese would do with his movies, or they rely heavily on Pit Bull, which doesn't make any sense. It's like if you listen to his music, especially especially the music in this movie, feels like more of his current stuff. So it's uh, like, okay, so this place this movie takes place in the eighties, yet you're hearing, you know, pit bull, you know. <laughs> I think that, I think they just lied. I think the, they just lied like, you know, to him. <laughs> they just
0: they just lied to him. But people like, yeah, this is like a big budget adaptation with uh, John Travolta. It's been like a six seven year project that he's been working on. You know, we're we're gonna be showing at hey, we're gonna be showing at the con film festival, and and Mister Worldwide is probably thinking like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm gonna man working on a film finally. That sounds awesome. That sounds tight. And then just it's it of of course like but but I think Pitbull God bless him is probably like he he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that would take a you know he seems to actually take certain things in stride like remember a couple years back when there was this a uh, competition that Walmart did. Where uh, basically, wow. whoever sent the most uh, letters and votes for a specific Walmart location, Walmart would basically fly out Pitbull to that Walmart and Pitbull would do like a free concert for all the workers and their families. Well, Reddit caught wind of this shit. And you know what they did? They found this location, like the farthest US location, and like a fucking. Um, The northeast part of Alaska and just like vote bombed the hell out of this location where like it ended up with like forty three thousand more votes than any other location. But instead of Walmart and Pitbull saying that, oh, we don't trust the results and everything. You know what happened? Pitbull went up to the location. He went up to the location, this town of like 400 people, like the entire town's population is only 400 people. He uh, went up to the location, uh, took photos, did like a 40 minute set for them and uh, yeah, just took it on the chin. so maybe with this one, even when he realized that, wow, I'm working on a film where it it lost all its money, 60 percent of the way through. So they just had to use like archival footage to like fill out the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I could still make this wor- work. I'm Mr. Worldwide. I could be able to. I could be able to still, you know, make this magic, man. I don't know. I can't do a Pitbull bull impersonation, <laughs> as you can tell. Uh,
1: yeah, I, 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 uh, like honest, honestly, like honestly, like I don't know why you would go with a hip hop. You know, like a, a hip hop artist. You know, to do this. So like, with like, with that,
0: yeah. With that said, though, here's my connection to Capone and we'll move on for Gotti because, you know, Gotti Gotti was like the popular punching bag of 2018. So we'll move on from it. But I feel like Capone is connected to Gotti in this sense. And it's also connected to this film, The Irishman. Hear me out. Hear me out. I've worked on yeah. this. I've, I've worked on All
1: right, Robert, you are so here. ancient for this, but all right, I'll, I'll 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 bite.
0: All three of these films are indicative. One of them purposefully and to me succeeds in like a very poignant way, especially near the end of it, and the other two are basically still representative of this decline in the first place. All. Three of these films represent to me kind of like the last it, it, it feels like the end of the mob drama as like a modern relevance. And this is what I mean by that. Gotti, of course, is representative of, you know, the Dapper Don, you know, like one of the last recognizable uh, names with, you know, um, with organized crime and everything, except that shit was now 30, 35 years ago. And as I brought up the fact that everybody in this movie who are all like, you know, people that have been in these like, you know, mafia, soprano, um, you know, Kind of films, all of them are fucking old now, all of them are in their 60s and 70s. And it's like and when you look at this film and the connection that I'm making to the Irishman is that the Irishman is very much like a coda for. The mob drama where it's like, you know, we're following the journey of this, you know, hitman, um, you know, in the middle of this organized crime. And, of course, with Jimmy Hoffa and, of course, his connection with that. But then the final 40 minutes to me um, were kind of indicative of the fact where it's like we follow this character and these characters, these archetypes that we are so familiar with in the genre and we just kind of see what did it amount to at the end of the day what what did any of this you know of the deeds that they did of this like you know enclosed glamour with these big you know italian pasta dinners and these galas and you know drinking this wine and having these suits and this cadillac all all this nice shit and what did it amount to in the end except just either you're dead or you're just alone, empty. And, you know, scarsese of course I felt, especially in the, in in that last moment, was really making a statement about like, what ultimately all of that amounted to. And scarsese kind of makes the really cynical um, observation where it's like, it basically amounted to nothing. And Capone, and it's the only, credence that i am given the movie is that i get the idea behind capone no you're, 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 like, no, no no listen 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 the idea that I, i'm sure I, I'm, I'm i'm sure josh trek i don't know i it. not know it. josh trek right. had it in his head he had it in his head where it's like hey who's the most famous gangster of all time al capone <laughs> and mm-hmm. not just that he's probably enough of like you know um yeah he's probably big-headed enough to think like al capone is probably arguably one of the most important cinematic characters as well not just in the fact of how many people have actually portrayed capone i mean fucking scarface is like uh inspired by al capone all of these different characters and all these different films the genre itself I i
1: mean what Well, I mean if you talk about Brian De Palma's Scarface, that's like a totally different take, uh take on like, you know, Rax and Richard's story. But there was like I mean, there was an a old uh Capone movie titled Scarface. With uh, right. I think it was Edward G. Robinson. Uh, uh, Edward G. Robinson <laughs> or James Cagney played uh, Capone.
0: Well then uh, well then there you go. Like like yes. y- you you could argue that Al Capone as a historic figure, but also as a character, has contributed a great deal to cinema as a whole—not yeah. just to the mob genre, but just like as the idea of this like kingpin type of character. You know, he—he's probably as like you could argue. You know what? I'll say it, it, it. It's arguable that his depiction is as critical as any biblical story. You know, like any biblical epic or whatever, it's like I'm going to say that Al Capone is more of an inspiration to the language of cinema than anything from the Bible. You know, and I, I get what Josh Trek was thinking. We've never seen a story of him in his last days, which, as we see in this movie, extensively so was is. It, it, it's it's not the glamorous end. It's like I'm gonna show this legend of history of gangsters of cinema in his yeah. last days. And yeah, it's it's
1: dreadful. It's utterly dreadful. Like rich what was your what was your takeaways? Because like, my, I mean, like my my I, like I understand what he's trying to go for. Like what. Mm-hmm. um like you know, like like I said, like a decline of of this of this like huge gangster, but but like but the way how the film was put together, the way how it was edited, like there, like he really didn't have anything going with it. There was nothing going with this film because any side plot or any characters that comes in didn't matter to shit. Like to, by the end of the movie. And 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 the fact that and the fact that, you know, and what what what's crazy is, is honestly between the two films, Josh Trank has some cinematic chops. I mean, like there are some scenes where I thought, all right, they were very inspired, like especially when uh, where he goes through these lucid moments where he's uh, like where, you know, he flashed back to like, you know, uh, to uh, like you know to or something he's
0: really and, trying he's and, really really trying with this and but,
1: but he's but again he can't put a film together like and I think that's the reason why he got yanked off of fucking fed bad four stick where it's like he had a good idea but he can't execute it and yeah like, yeah like just and, and, just and, so people in this film and, and this film pretty much proves it so it's like yeah you should like. Again, it's like he thinks that he could get out of movie jail or director's jail by making, you know, like, you know, by making this comic of a film. But it's like, but you're focusing on, on, you know, Tom Hardy who's like over the top, you know, you know, like spouting, you know, Italian. And, he looks and, like know, he and, like, looks yeah. like a fucking Dick Tracy character. Like he, uh, he was, he was going for like, and I, and, and it's like, and, and it feel like he's more like Cronenberg. It's it's something that it's the stuff that he doing in this film reminds me so much of David Lynch and Cronenberg but but the difference between him and those two filmmakers is they know how to put together a movie there is a cohesive plot to the film while, while it's like for example like Matt Dillon's character it's like, like Matt Dillon who comes in you know Third into the movie, you know, like it, you know, he's a great actor and all, but, but, uh, but, sorry, I'm going to spoil this, spoil this plot point in the movie, but by halfway into the movie, where after after this weird shit uh, scene with, uh, with the Wizard of Oz, where Tom Hardy is singing the the <laughs> the Curly Lion song. You realize that Matt Dylan and Mac Dylan doesn't exist. It was it was like, you know, he was talking to like an associate from the past. And it's like, what? It's like, and the fact that and what what bothers me is he spent this time establishing him, you know. It's like he like it, it like how they establish his Matt Dillon's character is he's having sex with this you know with the floozy. The phone rings. He's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to Florida. And it's like, why bother with all this setup when he's not he's not even real? And then you bring him back at the end doing this David Lynch thing where it's like, see, you are taking out eyes, you blinded me, and it's like, what the fuck? The the,
0: the, that scene, that scene portrays the entire narrative device of the movie, you know, and and I know the reason he put that scene in there is just to do like some attempt to like throw off the scent, except the issue. And, and it's, it's interesting if you, if you watch the trailer, right? Because the whole thing about the trailer is that like, it seems like, Oh, the FBI is like hot on, you know, Capone's case. Is he faking it? Is he still up to stuff? Except in the
1: actual movie, Right at the beginning, they didn't show up until like, until like towards the end of the movie. It's like they, 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 they don't even like he didn't even set these F, set the FBI up. It's just like you know, every once in a while you see Tom Hardy losing his shit, seeing somebody in the forest, and it's there's, like, and, it's a scene, no... and a scene where, and the scene where, uh, where like it's at the FBI office scene mm-hmm. happens like you know two thirds into the movie. So it's like, wh- why do I even care about this plot?
0: Yeah, like everything that it tries to depict about, you know, oh, it, it's like that's not an actual part of the movie, folks. Like right off the beginning, you have, okay, in a film like this, you know, you need something to be able to latch onto because if you're just going to have these kind of like David Lynch kind of scenes where it's like very surreal, very dreamlike, but you're using a character that we've clearly established is past the point of no return. Like, like like, you've already just said, this is his last year alive. So it's like, he's not going to make some like miraculous comeback. Like we know you, you kind of deflated the narrative. And it's like, if, if you're kind of like, loosening the truth and everything where it's like maybe Capone maybe the real Capone is inside of him but he's just kind of like fighting his own body at this point like it could have done it that way but instead you're just showing somebody progressively becoming worse and any of these like surreal Lynchian kind of scenes there's no weight to it because we just know it's fake we know that there that this isn't leading to anything like I'm i You know what I'm reminded of? And it kind of goes back to Scarsese. See, for the longest time, they really tried to make, uh, so many different directors through the years were attached to make it a biopic of Howard Hughes. You know, and of course, Howard Hughes, we know we've all heard the horror stories about how his last 10 years were, where he would basically stay in a room. He would have long nails, long hair, not wear any clothes, collect jars of urine and all that kind of stuff. And I remember at one point there were two competing projects. There was, of course, Scorsese with Aviator, but Oliver Stone was also very, very close to getting his own Howard Hughes adaptation. And crazily enough, you know who he was actually going to go with for Howard Hughes? Just guess. Uh, I mean, uh, Think early 2000s, early 2000s. Who's hungry early? for an Oscar?
1: I mean, like what, like Brad Pitt or something?
0: No, no, no. Um, I'll, I'll just tell you. He was going to go with Jim Carrey. He was going to go. But here's the issue, though. Half of the movie was going to be about that final 10 years where it's just basically Howard Hughes being this like, you know, this like crazy, deranged hermit. And it's like probably what they thought is that nobody 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 wants to watch a movie about Howard Hughes, where for half the movie, he's just. Naked collect, uh, you know, pissing into jars like nobody wants yeah. to h- watch fucking 60, 70 minutes of that. You know, and Scorsese made the right choice where it's like we're going to allude to the inevitable fate and end of Howard Hughes. But we're going to make the choice to focus on the most critical point of his life. Right. Yeah. And this movie.
1: But- this his movie thing. this but, movie because i mean the why how you talk about well i mean but what but what i mean like yeah on paper it doesn't sound interesting but i mean like you with howard Hughes, like it would have been more interesting if you had more if, if it's more focused on the characters around him because what's interesting is the last of his 10 years before he died somewhere in the uh, i think barbados or something like he was in Vegas. He bought the Sands Hotel. So this is like right around the time <laughs> yeah. when the mom is trying to like what the mom is like the mom is trying to still control Vegas, but trying to look for the legitimate way. And Howard He was like was pretty much the saving grace for uh like for for the hotel. So it's like you can have like, you know, this movie where it's like where it's like you know it won't be so much focused on Howard Hughes, but you can have you know you can you can find a balancing act with it, and it's like even in in Capone, had it been like you know the family or people that are dealing with this you know and having you know like a stronger supporting, I mean they already had good actors. They- i mean like it's been wasted a lot of yeah the, cat, the cast about. is really good in this uh, the yeah. cast is great in this movie which I is mean, like i be I mean, like hell like linda carolini she is really good i mean like the last movie i've seen her in was the founder what's a like, what's another a uh, biopic where uh she played uh uh she played like uh uh like howard crocker's mistress and eventually married him like uh like it was like the found is about um, how McDonald's became a franchise. So it's like and, oh, yeah, and yeah, Howard yeah. Crocker and, uh, like you know, uh, uh, damn it. Uh, uh, Michael Keaton plays Howard Crocker, who uh, um, um, I'm probably messing up his name. Uh, I'm probably mis- uh, like forgetting his name, but uh, like what he did is uh, is he Ray able to he was able to take That's who he was. Ray, Ray crock yeah, thank you, Ray, Ray Crock. Who uh, who pretty much took this old hamburger stand in San Bernardino and turned it into a franchise and found a way to make it profitable, and uh, and and eventually you know uh, eventually betray the uh, the original owners.
0: Hey, our Conadelli's been in plenty of other things. She is a talented yeah, like, woman. Yeah, and I mean, needs like, to be I a mean, more like,
1: stuff. Uh, but but it's like yeah, but, like, but people would either remember her from uh, either as Velma. Or if you're, like, really into Judd Apatow, she was the lead in uh, Freaks and Geeks.
0: Yeah, Homegirl's been around for a bit. Yeah. Uh, anywho, though, except, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean about, like, it, uh, focusing a little bit more about the people around them, except the funny thing with this movie is that, like, everybody else is just dressed and acting perfectly normal. And just, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm stunned we haven't talked more about Tom Harding's performance.
1: Like, I mean, like Tom Hardy, this, this is went, went way too far. I mean, like, like he was he was trying, man. It's like it's like you were like he's like like it, like it was like almost close to turning. He's either turning into some like creature, like the fly or some sort of <laughs> monster. Because <laughs> it's like like it's towards the end, he had like these boils over his face, and then his eyes are are bloodshot, which, red, which is why he's, like you, drilling I'm... and then and drilling and then and then, the, and then the, and then he love, and then Justin loves the fact that he like loves to show off him shitting himself. Like it happens. I've seen the not, movie
0: not once. Like the first time is like horror movie, just complete explosion and splattering in the bed. But then, then it happens again. Um, you know, j- just by just by accident and everything. But then it happens again. I guess almost played comedically? It's when yeah, he's being interviewed like, by the FBI agent. Tone.
1: It's like it's just a terrible tone. Like for this film. Uh, uh yeah, it, yeah, like yeah, continue. It's like it's say, it, it's the FBI interview where they try to figure out where the money is and uh try to get him confess.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that that's the closest thing that we there's two things that kind of amount to a fucking narrative thing. Is that Capone is trying to remember where he stashed $10 million, you know, like uh, like Matt Dillon's character that we brought up, which I guess, again, complete betrayal of the narrative. So I don't know who the fuck drove him to this boat,
1: and even yep. in the fucking car, they dress up Capone, like an old lady. It's like, it's like, whose like, idea is it? Was it Josh Trank or was it like Tom Hardy? like, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I'll, I'll dress up like, I'll dress up like, dress up like a, some old bride. Say, Capone,
0: Capone would dress up as an old lady. He would, he would. Like as even as bride. like a. It's like, not even, like, did he, I I love, I'm, I'm 99% sure it was Tom Hardy, because the way that he even puts on the old lady stuff, it's like slightly disheveled, like the glasses are like too far up on his face, and like the bonnet is like shifted, uh, shifted a little bit, and it's just like, did he dress himself? Because... Yeah, I, I, th- I think Tom Hardy was thinking, like, if, uh, if if Al Capone escaped and dressed himself up as an old lady, you know, he's not going to dress himself up well. It's going to look like Al Capone in a really shitty old lady costume. <laughs> and but but to to the point yeah like throughout the movie he's trying to remember where this 10 million dollars is and there's this whole like you know the fear of the family where it's like we need to figure out like did you stash any money did you stash any money we know you didn't write anything down but we need to figure out like is there anything you have like you know even though they live in this like Florida mansion they're still having to basically like sell off everything because of the you know bankruptcy and all that and like that's kind of of the angle, but it's like we know, we know it doesn't happen. So the only thing that's like driving us forward are these dream sequences
1: that really don't yeah, amount to then, anything. And then, and then, like there, there's a other subplot where you find out that he has like a legitimate son named Tony. And yeah. and, and the thing is, is is the way how the movie ends with him, him suddenly sort of connected with Tony is like that's like out of the blue. It's like it's like even it like it, there was like there was no there was no setup to, like, there's no setup where it, you have like where the audience can have this cathartic moment because like it was never the point of that yeah. film. Like it, it was like it was never it was never it like they never he didn't space enough in moments where that could be like a major theme of the movie. And, yeah, and I think that's and that's the problem with Josh Trank. Uh, an element, and, and like to especially that, with this yeah. editing, it's like like the editing is like you can tell that that he wanted full control of this film, uh, like, you know, full control of this film because of Mm -hmm. what happened with Van Borenstek. And even, like, you know, even then, it's like, with a better editor, an editor could probably, like, probably could save this movie and salvage this movie and make it somewhat better. Like, I think, I think if he had, he had, like, a a good editor, uh, like, a good editor may salvage that film. Like that's very objectionable, and won't have to like deal with this bullshit. Like it's like no 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 no. You got to put this here because it will set this up here, and it will like you get like a nice structure and cohesiveness, and you can you know have, things. An actual, you have the things
0: drive an actual drive to this movie, yeah. which I gotta I, I I have to I have to emphasize this. This movie is only a hundred minutes long. Like yeah. as far as like. As far as like I mean, dramas like, go, it's, it's it's a pretty fucking short movie and it feels like it's yeah. three hours because the it's like I know what Josh is trying to do where it's like he's trying to like establish like impending dread, but it just feels Because there's nothing for you to latch on narratively, it's like we're just dragging to the inevitable conclusion of this broken dementia, adult shitting himself man just ultimately leading to his own demise. And I got to say this, um, historically, that is like the one thing that he made up for this movie like, there's actually no historical, uh, there's no historical evidence of Al Capone actually having like a bastard child. And oh, really? And and like, I want to like, say, what? I want to say to yeah. Josh, Josh, Josh said he just wanted to take narrative license, and I almost want to ask him if you literally had to make something up to be the primary drive of your biopic movie of fucking Al Capone, then maybe the inherent way that you were approaching this material was extremely flawed in the first place.
1: Right. Either flawed or very disingenuous because I mean again, it's like there's there's so many movies about Al Capone, but this but there's different takes you can have on this character. Because another movie that took like 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 crazy artistic license is the untouchables. And that movie is fucking entertaining. It's yeah. like Brian DePlot was like, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, they made some shut up and like, you know, and um and like things didn't happen, and uh, like you know the way out, how, how it how it did, even though yeah, it was true that you know they got up with tax evasion, but but they still, but Brian De Palma still made an entertaining movie.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, and, and it, it's and like <laughs> I'm glad you brought up Del Palma, and I, I um I want to just uh, go back. You bringing up Cronenberg in regards to uh, Josh Trek. It's actually really app. Comparison, because you, you I think that was like the one thing that he was kind I mean, of going for with the his Fantastic Four movie is that yeah. there's there's definite Cronenberg influence in that one where, you know, there, there's like some Cronenberg kind of like body horror stuff. And, you know, what's interesting with Josh Trek? And it, it just for people know who the guy is, uh, we're, we're just talking about him openly. But uh, Josh Trek, of course, was the guy who was like the one hit wonder. He came out with that Chronicle movie, um, arguably uh, like.
1: Uh, written by uh, um, uh, Max Landis. So yeah. it's like, yeah, two wonder kids <laughs> that blame that, yeah. the fuck out. It's like, <laughs> no, how okay. did that happen? Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah,
0: yeah, but um, he had Chronicle, you know, uh, found footage kind of movie, but uh, you know, still really cool execution of this concept. Um, again, Chronum, you know, uh, yeah, and then like he gets this Fantastic Four remake tries to do it as this like, you know, Cronenberg kind of thing uh, ends up being kicked out of the editing room. And the film ends up being like one of the worst films that I have ever watched in cinemas. But the, the interesting thing, the interesting thing with the Cronenberg Lynch Del Palma thing is that so many of these like one hit wonder directors who just get these like massive, massive, massive projects like Him compared to somebody like Colin Trevorrow, right? Where Colin Trevorrow and a lot of those guys are Spielberg heirs. You know, a lot of them are trying to approach story making as Spielberg, but their mistake typically is going too much with the nostalgia. I would argue that Josh Trek is an inheritor of Del Palma and Cronenberg, like that field, like he's very much a kid who like, loved that shit like yeah. video like video drone like scanners I mean, like, like scarface like he he is yeah. in that 80s nostalgia kind of filmmaking except yeah. as you brought up the thing that those guys remember to do as twisted as weird as demented as you know dreamlike and bizarre as those guys could get they knew that you needed a narrative and entertainment to be able to get you through some of this shit. I
1: mean, like, I mean, my God, it's like, I mean, like, look at David Lynch. It's like he, even though he, even though, like, uh, what was it? I uh, know. Uh, 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 yeah, David, uh, I'm trying to, who did the Elephant Man? Was it David Lynch or Crony? Oh, 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 uh, um, uh, David Lynch. David Lynch. Yeah, Which so. Well, yeah, well, what i was saying is, like, even when, when he did Eraserhead, like, mm-hmm. when you see the elephant man, it's like he still can tell a narrative. He, he has the chops. Yeah, it's like, an elephant yeah, man. He, he throws weird, even though he throws weird, surreal shit in, he still knows what he's doing. And, like, that's the thing that bugs me about Drake. Um, about, uh, about it's like he, like. It's like, it's just uh, just uh, like the project smells of arrogance. And it's like, this is goddamn hubris. Like the this, this whole thing was mostly about hubris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you would think like, and and I'm pretty sure. That's the and irony that's, of it. Yeah. His approach like, to this movie, his approach to this movie should have been, okay, Fantastic Four, terrible fucking movie. He's actually said, you know, I don't want to do like some Josh Trek cut. Uh, with Fantastic Four, because like, I just don't want to do it. It's probably still not going to be good. You know, he's admitted that he even has a letterbox account just saying, criticizing his own movie. And you would think because of, because of Fantastic Four, he got kicked off of the Star Wars spinoff that was going to be about Boba Fett. And you would think that his approach to this movie, especially him having the opportunity to write, direct, and edit his own movie it's like you would think okay all right i learned my lesson i know my last movie was shit i could be able to do this but you know still still succumbed to his own ignorance of uh, filmmaking And it's a uh, you hate to see it Reg. you hate to see it
1: yeah, because, I mean, like I said, like there are some really cool stuff in it. It's just I gotta, I gotta like, say the the like I mean, like that's what I said. Like the, the sequence where like where he flashes back to like the the New Year's Eve party, like that was like that was a really cool idea, you know. If you want to like, show him, yeah, like like you know, like if you if you really want to show like you know flashback or you know show like you know moment in time, but but again, it's. Oh, well, and then also you could put down Stanley Kubrick because it does have. I gotta say, funny. He doesn't frame his movies like Kubrick, but mm-hmm. he he relies heavily on pacing. Like Kubrick, Kubrick is very deliberate when it comes Ooh. to pacing, Ooh, yeah, and he knows it. how to do it. He knows how to. But again, Kubrick knows how to like knows how to do it. The only movie that that the pacing maybe what's a little bit off for me was 2001: Space Odyssey. That's because you know. The first half of the movie, is so still like with early man, and it's like it's like it's like okay, it's like it it, it just it just it doesn't kick it. I mean, like it, it's like it's one of those things where it's like you just have to be patient with the movie, and but, you know, what, it's like when you get to space part, what cool.
0: Kubrick, what, what Kubrick is trying to what Kubrick was well, trying I'm to do to, like, with two thousand one, space up it's more meditative, you know. Yeah, but Josh Trek wouldn't be the guy to kind of get that. He just sees a movie like he sees Kubrick movies and you know, movie that I'm just now thinking about that. I know just Shrek would be like, Oh my God, I love that movie. It was such an influence would be something like clockwork orange. where like clockwork orange actually has that spaced out editing, you know, kind of approach, even though it's ultimately about like a bunch of, you know, violent hooligans ultimately. And, um, it's just he he don't get it. But I do just have to say the the one sequence that is just like so utterly bizarre, except you still have nothing to latch onto. it is like when Al Capone just ends up like having this like dream sequence where just let me paint you the, the picture of how he looks like he has this. He has no pants on. You know, he has his diaper and we just assumed that no one has just changed him yet. So this diaper is just like full of shit at this moment. He is wearing this long, boldly white, black Beetlejuice striped robe. And I immediately thought of Beetlejuice because he's wearing the red, you know, that deep red uh, button up shirt. Um, he he's he's full like Cronenberg boils, you know, bruises, just like decaying corpse-looking fucking guy, and he has this gold-plated Tommy gun.
1: It oh, yeah. <laughs> just starts. So mowing- the tommy gun, say he just, it's, like, yeah. it's like, it's like, it's like, yeah, and that's like you're only excited in the movie. It's like, it's like, damn, he's like sitting up and murdering people. And then it cuts to, oh, he's on the floor and he just shot the guy in the leg. It's Like, yeah. really? It's like, it, 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 it literally like you are undercutting this movie, my friend. He feels
0: like he feels like I, I would love that should have been the beginning of the movie. That should have been the opening sequence of the movie where it just like immediately throws us for a loop. Like don't have any of like the narrate, don't have any of the uh, fucking exposition at the beginning of like Al Capone, blah, blah, blah. This is his last year. No, fuck that. Start the movie with this. And then we just follow this character loose in his mind. And then we just like see like the last little bit of it. It's like something like that. Editing. Josh, just you can do it. I don't know. I don't know. No, but, he needs uh, an
1: editor. Like, homeboy needs an editor.
0: Okay. But uh, I think that's a good ending point of uh, Gotti. Reg, what would you give it?
1: I mean, like Gotti. Uh, Gotti, I think one it. out of ten. Give it, uh, I'll get it. Yeah, it's it's a one out of ten for for Capone. I would say three. I would give it a three because again, it does show, like, it. the movie does show it had a budget. It, like, it had some direction, it had some chops, but but as far as, like, filmmaking, from a filmmaking standard, it's, like, it's just a mess of a movie, and it's just, too, I mean, like, it, like the pacing, and, like, it's just it's just dull. It's just dull in some parts, and it's, like, had he rearranged the film and, like, rearranged some scenes around, it might have been, you know, it might have been a better movie.
0: Yeah, um, I'm a I'm I'm giving Gotti. Um, I gave Gotti a one and a half and I gave and I gave Capone a one and my or I'm sorry, uh, I gave it a three out of ten and I gave Capone a two out of ten because you gave Gotti a three out of ten. Here's my reasoning. It is arguably. One of the funnier bad movies that I have seen in years,
1: just because like it it, it, it is there. There's like the movie. I mean, like like, like, to me, like to me, it's like uh, I've seen these movies before. The, the like, movie, just, you have to understand my
0: culture, Reg, as an Italian-American, as the reference for these kind of people, knowing, knowing that, like, when they wrote some of these lines, that it's, like, their only understanding of, like, how to write a script is just from, like, a hodgepodge of catchphrases that they've heard from, like,
1: GTA, <laughs> you know? Like, like, there's almost, like, there's an adorable- Dummy! <laughs> there's an adorable. I'm thinking. I'm thinking of all the shit from Vice City. Yeah. <laughs> there, there's an adorable. What are you doing here? Th- there's a
0: childishness to it, yeah. like almost like a naivete to Gotti, where it's like these are guys that legitimately think like, you know what? We look cool. We look really good, guys. We we got the nice suits. You know, it feels like uh, Goodfellas. Hey, we should have a line where we call each other Goodfellas because we are. That's so cool. We look so great. And the, the kind of film that opens with them just like fucking leaning in front of the Brooklyn Bridge, looking straight at the camera. (laughs) <laughs> it's like this is New York City, the greatest fucking city that's ever existed, and then just the
1: fucking movie starts. It's just like this. Uh, this feels honestly, like, well, it I feels mean, like the, the, and, play. And they, they even didn't commit to the they didn't even commit to the fourth wall. I but know, the, it's the, so cute. The, the fourth wall bit. And it's like it's just like a book. Uh, pretty much they just bookend the whole entire movie with them staring at the camera, and it's like, yeah, that that like, yeah, it didn't work because it's like. Again, what made Scorsese? Again, what made Wolf of Wall Street? What made Goodfellas? Like uh, even Casino, the good is when you hear the narration, when you hear these characters talking to you, you understand, you understand <laughs> yeah. what their motives, you uh, you you get what they're doing. Yeah, it's just like with Gotti, like Gotti, you don't know. It's like we don't yeah. know, and it's like yeah, I didn't know that his son got like got ran over. It's like. And, and like you, you this is one of those things. is like if you know if you read his biography, it's like oh okay, this is like then you can say then you can turn to your significant other and say oh yeah, this is the scene where, where his son goes is gonna get get hit by the car and and they kill the guy yeah yeah you know
0: yeah. but um, shit
1: or but, uh, or then, or or they put so much emphasis on Sammy the bull and it's like oh this is the guy that betrayed him but it's like again it's like again.
0: We, do, we don't get like, that much out of it. I don't I don't really. know,
1: yeah, you don't know that much. Like, they don't really do much with that character. It's just, oh, okay, well, like, if you read his biography, yeah, he was one of the guys that turned him in.
0: Yeah, we just don't see any of that. But yeah, I would say the big difference between Gotti and Capone, one is a film of ignorance, one is a film of arrogance. And ignorance... Can be entertaining in certain cases. And I feel like Gotti is a good case where they are just like ignorant of just like certain fundamental things, but they're just still really committed to trying to do it while. I mean- Capone, I feel, is an example of arrogance, where it's a yeah. guy that feels like because I watch these movies, because I feel that I am a student of these type of films, of this narrative structure, of this approach to editing, this approach to cinematography and direction and script, you know, it should work. But forgetting certain fundamentals that if he was just able to take a certain step back or just have somebody else do a pass on his stuff, he would be able to like, you know, understand why a film like this doesn't work at the end of the day. Yeah. 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 But But, uh, anywho, uh, have uh, have a blast blast watching, Get some pizza. Get some wine. That film's actually, I feel like, pretty fun to watch with people. Um, but Capone, like or,
1: again, Capone's around the movie. Uh, I mean, like, route the movie maker makes that shit entertaining. How yeah. about like, yeah. How the how the fuck you make a movie about with Italians and you don't have food?
0: It's like, how? Hey, hey, see, but and and that's what I mean. Josh Trek watches enough mobster movies. He knows I gotta have the dinner scene. I will literally introduce my character on Thanksgiving because he knows well enough of what is in these movies, but doesn't understand how to execute it in a meaningful way for them.
1: Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm just wondering. I wonder if if E should like take uh, Neil Brain's uh, film school course. Oh, right, it's, it's only, right, It's only it's only 160. is only a, uh, sorry. It's only 169 books. and you know you get a <laughs> you get should, a DVD rob of, sorry, of of a course that you can watch in five hours, and you learn everything about filmmaking. All right. The folks, Neil uh, after
0: after the end of this episode, we'll start a GoFundMe account for a box office vacancy to raise one hundred and sixty dollars so we can buy Neil Breen's film school showcase. But uh Yeah, I think that's a good ending point. Uh, Stay tuned. Uh, We're actually doing two episodes back to back this evening. So we got another episode coming up on your pipeline. So uh, thank you so much for listening to us through these uh, trying times. Be safe, be smart. And uh, thank you so much for listening to us. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. So uh, this is Robert signing off. And this is Reggie. Meh, Meh, Meh. Meh.
1: Meh. Special good guest uh, Dave Chappelle. Meh. <laughs> 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 Meh. Uh, yeah, yeah, see? Somebody should get up to Josh Drake and say, you're good, kid. Say real good. Real but, good, um, As say. long as I'm around, you're going to be second best, Say Meh. 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 Yeah, see? Very nice, folks. <laughs>